how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Chris Sheridan always knew he wanted to be a writer, but he originally thought he wanted to be a journalist until he discovered screenwriting in college. Today, his writing credits include shows like Living Single, Titus, Yes Dear, Family Guy, and most recently, Resident Alien. But he wasn't always considering a path in comedy. The story of Resident Alien follows a crash-landed alien who takes on the identity of a small-town Colorado doctor. The adaptation is about a character dealing with the moral dilemma of why he was sent to Earth, which was actually to destroy the planet. In this interview, Sheridan talks about character-based comedy, how to get unpigeonholed as a writer, what it means for actors to police language, being respectful to IP, and advice for getting noticed today. You can also listen to my interview with Alice Wetterlin, the actress who plays Darcy on the show in episode 333. When I grew up, I always wanted to be a writer, but I just didn't know. I didn't know at first what type of writing uh, I wanted to do. I thought maybe I wanted to be a journalist at first. And it wasn't until college that I overheard someone talking about writing a screenplay and it immediately clicked that that's something that I wanted to do. It was, it was much less something that was considered a profession at the time. This was in the 80s. Mm -hmm. There was no internet then. And so it was really hard to even know what the business was unless you knew someone who worked in it. It was really hard to get behind the scenes information. It was really hard to get scripts. It was hard to get anything. Um, there was a magazine called Premier Magazine back then that was sort of a movie magazine. They sometimes had... Uh, they had uh, uh, ads for you could you could buy like uh, you know Cheers scripts or something like that, and so I remember buying scripts so I could read and look what TV scripts look like. But it was really hard back then to get information. So, um, but I knew immediately as soon as I had heard that that someone was doing that, it it dawned on me that that's an actual job. So I think I was a sophomore or a junior in college at the time, and that's when I kind of realized that was the path I wanted to take. 
Were you always going towards comedy or did you start elsewhere? How did you kind of get into the comedic world? I didn't actually. I, I remember actually working in this bar in New Hampshire before I moved and um, hadn't even considered comedy. And then uh, so one of the bartenders I worked with knew I was going out and I wanted to be a, a TV or a movie writer. And, and they said, oh, I assume you'll do comedy because they, they thought I was somewhat funny at the bartender. And I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. Maybe I, don't, I had never really thought of it. So but I do remember that moment where it was the first time it sort of passed in my head that that might maybe that would be my path. But then when I got out there, the first job I got was on a comedy on a sitcom. So that that was sort of where the path kind of began. So that's once I started on a sitcom and that's those are the people I knew. And then that was where the path sort of at least started for me. It seems like it's kind of a variety of shows. How did you kind of consider like the writer's room back then from living single to Titus to yes, dear to family guy, they're very different types of comedy, even though they're all 30 minutes. Like how did you kind of transition between those? It just relationship building, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, back then the way you got a job was you would write spec scripts of shows that were on the air and uh, those were your samples and you would sort of bounce from show to show. Once the show got canceled, you moved to something else and, you know, and, and all the writers rooms were, were made up of, of all these writers who also had bounced from show to show. So there was a lot of different um, types of writers or a lot of different skill sets. They were all comedy writers coming off of different, of different shows. And you sort of meet in the middle on shows together and learn from everybody. So uh, I remember when I got the job on, on family guy, it was one of the last shows hiring that year. So that staff, so they had a choice because everything else was everything. Every other show was sort of staff. So there was one show left and it was family guy. So everyone was working. The only people not working were, uh, and this was uh, described to me by one of the showrunners at the time. He said they had to choose from for that first family guy um, uh, writing staff. The only people not working were writers who had really, really good writing samples, but really bad credits or writers with really, really good credits and really bad writing samples. Uh, and so they ended up choosing because back then more so than now, having a good writing credit was, was pretty huge as far as getting a job. So they ended up making the choice to hire writers who had really, really good writing samples, but really bad credits. And, uh, and it was the best staff I've ever worked on a bunch of incredible writers in that, in that beginning family guy room. Those people who haven't read a lot of comedy scripts, I mean, everyone's probably seen all these shows or, or versions of these shows. How is it funny on the page? Like what makes it different? I guess what makes it stand out and something like that? What do you look for in a writer's room? As far as, as far as people's writing? Yeah. Uh, well, the tough thing nowadays with comedy writing is so much comedy has been done. So many jokes have been told. So it's really easy to fall into the trap of telling a joke that people have heard of uh, before. Mm -hmm. So if I'm reading a script and I can see a joke that is, that's clearly a joke structure has been done before, but done this way in a little bit different way. It tells me that it's not only a writer that knows the form, but is smart enough to know that they've got to twist it a little bit to feel fresh. Um, I think, uh, I think, Rhythm and pace is a huge part of comedy writing as well. I think it's all rhythm. Um, it's knowing where the joke is and not, you know, it, depending on, honestly, depending on what kind of comedy writing you're doing. I think in, 
if you're writing a multicam sitcom, which is much more presentational, I think you're going to want to put the, uh, put the joke, you know, at the end of the line. If you're writing something like Resident Alien, which is comedy, but more character-based comedy, you don't want to do that a lot because mm -hmm. people don't talk that way typically. So you want to, it's okay to bury the joke in the line a little bit. It's still funny and it may not be funny, but it also, if you start, I've noticed on this show, if you start putting the joke as like a button at the end of the line, it starts taking on a sitcom tone hmm. and it starts veering away from reality and more towards uh, sort of a more of a TV reality, which is two different things. So I don't know. I think in reading comedy, I think it's just, is it making you laugh? Is it fast paced? Is it, is it interesting? Is it different? Is it, is it really good character comedy? Is it just a character telling jokes? Um, if it's just a character telling jokes, it better be a character who would tell jokes uh, and the jokes better be pretty good. So there's so, there's so many factors in it. There's so many different ways you can, you can do it wrong. And there's very few ways you can do it right. So it takes someone, it takes a lot of study, I think. How did uh, Resident Alien first come to be? How did you first get attached to it? I made a shift about probably eight or nine years ago um, to want to do more cable drama stuff because I had not done any. I'd been in half hour my whole career. And so I wrote a drama spec pilot that I went out with with Amblin. Uh, and I didn't sell it, but it opened up that world uh, to me a little bit, despite, you know, having worked in comedy for at the time, 20 something years, it's still very separated. So I had to prove myself all over again as a drama writer. So I had to, I couldn't just get hired on a show or just go out and pitch a drama show because I'm pigeonholed as a comedy guy. So I had to write something that was dramatic to prove people I could do it. So I did, and I went out with it with Amblin, and we did not sell it, but it did open some doors and allowed people to see me in a little bit of a different way. So soon after that, it was October of 2015, Amblin, who had been sending me a couple of different things here and there, would you want to you know, develop this or develop this in the hour world? They sent me the comic book for Resident Alien and asked if I was interested in adapting this to a TV show. And I read it and uh, fell in love with it and knew I had a take right away on it and uh, said, yeah, I want to do that. So that was, yeah, that was seven years ago. Now it's taken a long, it's a long, these things take a long time. It took years before it was, it, you know, I think I, I started working on it in October, 2015, sold it to USA Sci-Fi in August of 2016. Um, and then we didn't shoot the pilot. Uh, yeah, for another two years, something like that. When you were writing, I know, so it's based on an adaptation, but was like Alan Tudyk always involved? It seemed like that main actor would have to be heavily thought up to write this character. You would think. <laughs> <laughs> he was not. Uh, I've said this before. I did not. I thought I knew what that character was, and I did not know what that character was until Alan Tudyk came through the door. And he was probably the hundred around the 110th actor we saw for the role uh he was one of the last people that came in and immediately i knew that he was the guy david dobkin and i who was the director we were casting this role and it was it was funny on the page but you know you can have a lot of different interpretations of that we had some amazing amazing actors come in we opened it up to england ireland and you know a lot of amazing u.s actors and and they did amazing things but it, it, none of it felt right they a lot of people were either playing it 
to alien uh, and, and sort of the reality fell out or they were, they were playing it sort of too real and too leading man type. And then it just didn't feel like this is someone who didn't fit in. And, and then Alan came in and Alan did a great, incredible combination of both where he was awkward and um, hysterically funny, but had a humanity to him uh, that came through in his performance. And we, we knew immediately that this was the guy. It was really an exciting moment because we were, we only had a couple of days left to find someone or they were going to have to push uh, shooting. So yeah, he came in at the very last, he was the last one hired. What were some of the changes in the character that you saw when he came on board? Like, did you, how did you start writing it differently? It's a really good question. You know, Alan is a, is a, what's great having Alan on board is he's, he's a great um, shepherd of his own character. And, and, you know, we, we, it took a while to find the level of where this character lives, you know, and, and a little bit hyper real. We, we, we knew we wanted him to be a little bit, feel a little bit different, you know, cause he's someone who doesn't fit in and he's just sort of learning the human language and human, how to be a human. So a lot of the comedy comes from that, but you can't push that too much or it's not going to feel real that people aren't just staring at him as he walks down the street on four legs, you know? So, right. uh, so we had to sort of find a balance. And I think we pushed the balance a little far, a little further for comedy. And it's, it's gotten to this great place now uh, where he does feel a little bit different, but he, but everyone in the world completely accepts him for being a little bit different, which I think is one of the themes and, you know, that we're trying to say in the show anyway. So one of the things that Alan does is he's really good at policing his language. Harry is very literal. And in writing Harry, it's amazing. It makes you realize in writing how much of what we say as human beings are figures of speech. Mm -hmm. We've, after being human for a long time, so many of the things we say are expressions. And I've fallen into a trap as a writer where just naturally, even writing in Harry's voice, I'll throw in a figure of speech by accident and Alan will, you know, will will be able to police it and say, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Or simpler words, you know, Alan wouldn't say, uh, you know, he wouldn't say bigger, more complex words. It's all very simple and literal for the character. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, Alan did a great job coming in and, and making the character very consistent. Um, and he's able to, in that consistency, it's, it's made the comedy a little funnier because then in the times that we go off of that and he might, and Harry might say something that is a little bit of the time, you know, or he's, you know, texting with Asta and, you know, calls her playa or something like that. Like, and it's really funny. You pick, figure, oh, Harry must've picked it up watching TV or something like that. But you do it few and far between and it becomes a lot funnier than if he just lives there all the time. What are some of the conversations in the writer's room about like which figures of speech to use, which complications to throw at him? Is it just naturally with whatever plot is working or is it character first? How do you kind of think about some of those things? We approach it, uh, all the stories we approach through sort of Harry's journey first. That's the, the Harry and then the Harry Asta journey. Whatever Harry's journey is typically sets the theme for the episode. Um, so that's where we start and we try to build into the journey, whatever he's trying to do, 
some sort of complication or conceit that ends up being funny just in concept. I mean, any, you have to assume any, you know, any scene can be made funny, but I have found that some of the funniest scenes we've done are the scenes where the one-liner of what the scene is, is like, oh, like you're laughing. Like you can see what's funny about that. You know, um, I'm trying to think of something that's not going to spoil. I, I was going to say something, but it's for the second half of the season. So I probably shouldn't say it. Uh, um, uh, now I have to think back to the first part of the season. And you, you kind of had him like in the very early episodes, you kind of had him graduate almost like a toddler with some of the really basic stuff. You kind of had to go through that montage yeah. of things, you know? I mean, that's an, that's, a, that's not scene specific, but character yeah. specific is, just the concept, you know, it's not an alien, you know, the one-liner, I guess, of let's say Harry and Max's relationship. It's not a, you know, an alien in the body of a 45-year-old man uh, yelling at a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. It's the, an alien in the body of a 45-year-old man who acts like a 10-year-old fighting with a 10-year-old. Right. I mean, that's, the, that's what makes it so funny. And it makes sense. He's only been here for a year. So, He's learned the language and, you know, but he doesn't know what it's like to be human. He has, he, you know, he has the same sort of sense of humor as a, uh, as a child. Cause he, cause those are things that develop over decades, you know, learning satire and, you know, how to be the dry sense of humor and sarcasm and all that stuff. So he's still at the level of a 10 year old. So, and he doesn't know those things that, you know, when you're 40. So when, when Max says to him, your shoe's untied, and Harry will look down to see that his shoe's not untied, and Max says, you got him, and Harry feels like he's been gotten. You know, this is, this is new to him. Uh, you know, Harry's seeing a magic trick for the first time. He's a six-year-old, you know? So, you know, at the poker game um, in an early episode this season, Ben, you know, fakes, fakes pulling like a poker chip out of his ear, and Harry thinks he can transmogrify matter. You know, he just doesn't know the concept of it. So it's fun to play with those uh, to play in that world a little bit. It also, what's fun about it is because Harry is, is fighting on Max's level when Harry calls Max a dickhead, it's funny because it's, it's a, you know, it's a 45 year old man calling a kid a dickhead, but you also forgive him for it. Cause he's a, he's childish. He doesn't know the difference. Yeah. So it, it gives us a, a pretty wide playground to play in comedically. Uh, and Alan plays it just so perfectly. It seems like with this, like those are going to be the fun things to write. It might be more complicated to write some of the side characters. Like I, I interviewed um, Alice Wetterlin, who plays Darcy on the show. It was, seems very odd that she's kind of into this guy. And she told me a little bit about that backstory. But how do you think about his interaction, his interactions from other people's perspectives on the show? Well, I mean, the whole the whole the show was built purposely to build up the other characters. This very easily could have just been an alien show where you're living in Harry's world for, yeah. for 90% of the episode. And I think, I think there are some viewers who would prefer that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I try not to read many reviews, but I, I do, you know, there seems to be a, a small segment of people that wishes it was just Harry screaming at Max for the entire episode. But I always felt very strongly that this show would not survive unless it could survive in the world of a regular show without an alien. And it has to be about the townspeople. It has to be about humanity. Um, 
all these characters have to have their own backstories and the show has to work on its own. The dynamics have to work on their own. The town has to work on its own. It has to have its own storyline. You know, it has the, the murder of Sam Hodges that brings us in. It has to work so that if the alien never came down and showed up, it could still work as a show. And then if, if I could create that, then you take the whole alien sort of layer of it and layer that on top. And then you have something real that Harry's reacting off of. I feel very strongly that if we're, if we're in this journey uh, with Harry and, and with Harry learning how to be a human, we'll never buy that he has fallen in love with humanity or with these people in town unless we fall in love with them too. Mm-hmm. So I always felt from the beginning, it was incredibly important to make them fun, real dynamic characters that you want to be with. And it grounds the whole show and it gives you this sort of palette to play with, with Harry, where he's, he's not just commenting on humanity. He's watching what we're watching, which is real humanity play out the loss that a, a mother has when she has to give up her child. You know, these are sort of heartbreaking moments that we're watching while Harry's watching. So we understand why it moves him because it's moving us as well. So I've always wanted the, each of the characters, Darcy's one of them, to have a, a really rich sort of backstory and have, um, have a, come from a, from a real place. And then from that real place, they can sort of ricochet off, off Harry. And as, as Alice told you, you know, in the beginning, and as we saw, Darcy, you know, fell for this new guy in town because he's sort of fresh and exciting. And, um, and then their relationship over time has expanded and, you know, uh, their friendship or their, her wariness of Harry is sort of expanded. She's starting to watch Asta being closer to this guy and is not sure why. She's concerned that Asta's hiding something from her, doesn't know what it is. So, you know, it's, it's an alien, but it, it could very well be just two friends and there's a third friend comes in and suddenly one of the friends is jealous. They're not getting as much friend time with one of them. So in every bit of it, the goal was, even though it's heightened and it's an alien, to try to make all these dynamics play very relatable as things that happen to us in the real world, even when there's not an alien present. So kind of using this show as an example, but really talking about everything being made today. So most things that are getting bought come from IP. How strong do you feel like you have to stick to the original comic or is it more about, you know, here's the basis and maybe there's a North star you're going towards, but how much freedom do you have there? I think you have a lot of freedom with IP these days and I think you have to take it. I think the goal is to make the best TV show you can um, and you have to be respectful of the IP, but genres are different. So I think, you know, as, as fantastic as that resident alien comic is um, it just is a different, it's just different. Like it's, it works so well as a comic book, but things have to change when you switch to a TV show. And I knew that going in. So you know, in the comic book, when you're reading the comic, you see Harry as an alien the whole time. Uh, what you understand reading the comic book is that everyone else in the comic is seeing Harry as a person that we don't know from their viewpoint what that looks like. We just know it looks, he looks like a person. But from our standpoint, he looks like an alien. That poses two problems in TV. One is from a production standpoint, it's incredibly expensive to have him in an alien make up the entire time because um, there's enhancements and there's, you know, it's just a pra- practically there's, there's an issue there. But more importantly, I think on TV, viewers connect with people 
in their human facial expressions and everything. And they connect with actors and actresses. So the biggest change I made, and I knew I didn't have a choice, was to change a little bit of what we're looking at. And we have to see this alien as a human being. And then we came up with the idea of, you know, see, you know, in, in the mirror, in mirror reflections, we can remind the audience like, oh, it's an alien. We'll see the alien head in the mirror or something like that. But, uh, but that was the biggest change. And I knew it was a big change. And I knew that fans of the comic would probably not be happy with that, but you really don't have a choice. If you're making a decision based on what's going to make the best TV show, you do have to make changes because it's just, it's just a different dynamic. It's you're, you're playing in the first season, we did 10 episodes and you're hoping over the course of a TV show to do 50 episodes. And there's gotta be a little bit more of a character arc in order to keep people invested, you know, for 44 minutes at a time watching these shows. So it's why I made the decision to, to bring Harry to this planet in a little bit of a darker way. He had a dark mission. He was here to kill everybody and hated humans. And I made even his, when we do see his alien face, I made it looking a little bit more evil than, um, than in the comic. And I made him sort of more evil and more intent on destruction because I wanted him to have an emotional and a character place to go. So things do have to change in the process. Um, I also, you know, because I knew, I know what happens when you get into episode 10, 20, 40 of these shows you need other characters to really play off of in order to not make it feel like you were being repetitive. So I knew how important it was to make sure that all the characters had backstories. I approached each of the characters, you know, whether it's Asta or whether it's Darcy, um, uh, you know, Sheriff Mike, any of them, that, that if they, that they should be able to live in their own world and have their own show. They should have enough going on with them that that itself could be the show. You know, I gave Asta, uh, you know, uh, an abusive ex-husband, Jimmy, the story with Jay, that was all added to it because I knew that that would give her a lot of meat to play and, and give us something that we can sink into where we can, we can understand her character and relate to what she's going through. Um, I added Darcy as a character completely that wasn't in the, she wasn't in the comic and I added her to, to be Asta's best friend and to be a counterpoint to Asta's darkness that she's going through to have someone in her life that's a little bit lighter and a little bit more comedic to sort of balance that tone. So, you know, but at the same time, I really tried to keep the humanity in Harry and the observational nature of the comic, which I think was done so brilliantly. Um, so you try to tonally keep those things, you try to keep the soul of the IP while still being open to making changes that you know will make it a better television show. Just to um, one or two more. So the show has gotten really popular and it's well-deserved. Are, are there any common misconceptions about the show for people who maybe haven't seen it yet? What have you heard that kind of surprises you about the show? Well, I do my best to stay away from reviews. <laughs> uh, and mainly because I don't, I don't think they serve me well because uh, I'm human. And when I hear about read a bad one, I don't like it. <laughs> so try to stay away. And and conversely, when I read a good one, I shouldn't let that define the show either. I mean, I, I like the show. I, I enjoy writing it. I know the cast loves the show. And, and I think when you start trying to answer to a huge audience, you start watering down what you're doing. So I'm trying to stay in a small bubble of the sort of the artistic people, the, the writers and the crew and the actors. And, 
um, the creative executives who are helpful. And like, I feel like we're in our own little bubble and I'm trying to make us happy. And I feel like if we can tell stories that make us happy, and if I can tell stories that make the cast excited to play these characters, then just conversely, everyone else or a lot of other people are going to like it. So I, I try to approach it from, um, from that place. I forget the question. Sorry. That's good. That's, that's good. Um, we'll, just, we'll just do one more. Um, I usually kind of end with more of an advice question, but I guess if you were trying to break in today or get noticed or get into a writer's room, uh, I know it's kind of changed where it used to be more like you write a very, you'd write a sun build script or whatever. Yeah. Now it's, I think more original base is the general idea, but what are some things you might recommend to get noticed? The biggest thing that I would recommend for a new writer coming up and I, you know, recommending this from making the same mistake myself is don't try to target what you think the business is looking for because that changes all the time one year they're doing stories you know about brothers are a thing and the next year is like it's it's female forward and and it's everything's about women and and then the next year it's you know shows about older people like everything changes so much it's hard to find that bullseye because the bullseye is always moving so it's, I would recommend to people, don't ever make a creative decision about your writing, about what you're writing based on business or based on what you think the business of the business is. I would say to everyone, and this is, this is a very old recommendation, but there's, there's a lot of truth to it, which is write what you know, find something that you care about that you think you can tell a story about in a way that hasn't been told before. And no matter how crazy that idea is, you should write it. I wouldn't approach, you know, when I approached Resident Alien, I didn't think of it as I'm blending tones or it's comedy, but it's drama and it's, there's horror sometimes and there's science fiction. I just wrote what I thought it would be and what I would write, you know, what I would want to watch. And I think when you do something like that, it makes whatever you write feel more specific and feel a little bit different. Um, you know, and in the past 30 years, I think the scripts that really have stood out are those ones where someone wrote something that felt different than what was on the marketplace at the time. And if they had really tried to follow the market, they never would have done so. What they ended up doing, you know, when Greg Garcia wrote My Name is Earl, he had an idea that was very specific to him that was different than anything else was on TV. And he, and he went, went towards it and it ended up being something that stood out. Malcolm in the Middle at the time when that came out was very different than anything else on TV. Uh, and that stood out as being different. Uh, I also think if you take your own point of view towards something and, and, and just attack it with everything you have, I think you're going to present a fresh voice into the, into the marketplace as well. And, and all that aside, the most important thing is if you're writing what you know and something specific to you and your way of telling it, it's gonna be more fun. You know, you, you could spend two years trying to, well, I think they're writing stories about horses now. So I got to come up with a horse story. And then you spend two years writing a horse story. And by the time you're done, it's, it's gorillas, you know, I mean, you know, you, your chances are in this business, a lot of times you're not going to sell stuff anyway, or you're not going to make it, or you're not going to shoot it, or it's not going to get on the air. There's a lot of writing that happens that ends up being for yourself or for samples, because it's so hard to get something on the air that if you're going to do it anyway, like I, when I did Resident Alien, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to sell it. I didn't know if I was going to make the show or anything because I've made a lot of things that 
you know, pilots that have never been shot. I've never gotten, had a show on the air. So I just figured I'm just going to write what I want to write because I'm going to spend the next year writing it. So I might as well have fun doing it. And I think that actually makes the project a lot better anyway. And you have fun doing it. And there's nothing worse than being stuck for a year or two writing something you hate. So perfect. My advice. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.